for listening to the Supermamas Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 128. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 128. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, super bombs, you amazing, gorgeous geniuses, you. I hope you're having a fantastic summer. I actually am having a really good summer. I had a lot of fun in Europe. That was super great. I got to spend wonderful time with my boy, who's a man now, but I love him so much, and it was so fun to hang out with him, and he just left today, and I'm sad. So I've been great. I've also been horrible, (laughs) like terrible. This Roe v. Wade decision, it was kind of funny. Like, at first, I was sort of in denial. Like, I woke up, was it Monday morning, and I'm just like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm sure it was kind of like, I'm sure that's not true. Like, I'm sure they just reconfigured something. And then my client, the first client, wanted to talk about it. And I was like, oh, I better look into this. And then my neighbors, I walk with my dog, my neighbor's like, I need to talk to you about this. She was bringing flowers to her mom. So then I started reading, and I was like, ugh totally in a funk. So yeah, (laughs) that's kind of what we're going to talk about today because I was planning to release a podcast today called How to Prioritize When You Are Pulled in Multiple Directions. So if that is you, tune in next week because it's a really good podcast and I think a lot of moms can relate to it. But I couldn't shake this whole Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court. And so I have a little special episode for you this week because I just could had to get off my chest. You know, I always tell my clients, like sometimes they hire me to uh, help them build a better connection with their team. And yet every time we get on the phone, we're talking about how stressed out their work is or trying to help them manage their to-do list because we have to always kind of work from the outside in, right? The top level, whatever's bugging you the most today. If you want to work on your connection with your teen, but you just got a big fight with your husband right before the call, we kind of need to talk about that to kind of clear the airwaves and uh, just we got to clean things up. And so that's kind of what I felt like for me today. Like in order to record the podcast about how to prioritize, the answer is you got to start from the outside in. You got to start with what's bugging you the most. And this dang Roe v. Wade stuff is bugging me the most. So I kind of feel like I needed to talk about it, get it off my chest. And I thought the way I wanted to do that is I wanted to tell you some stories of the people I met when I worked for Planned Parenthood. So young girls, women my age now, 50-year-old women, and everyone in between that came in. There are a few people that really stand out in my mind, and I keep thinking about them. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of honor them by sharing a few of the stories and giving you kind of an insider's look as to what it's like to work in a Planned Parenthood clinic. So I consider myself politically fluid. There are things I align with on the Republican side of things, the Democratic side of things, and probably even some other extremes. But as I'm fluid, but I am very pro-kid. 
which means I'm also anti-machine guns. (laughs) I am very pro-mom, which means I am very pro-choice. I am a life coach. I believe that we deserve to design a life that's right for us and not have other people dictate their ideas of how we should live. So motherhood is hard enough that I have a hard time supporting that anybody should enter into it without feeling 100% up to the task and having loads of support. So I just found that motherhood was like the hardest thing I've ever done. And so I want to really support moms in any way I can because I love children so much. And the best way I can support kids is to give them some happy, healthy mamas. I trust women to make decisions that have children's best interest at heart. I think women are very conscientious and I've seen enough women getting positive pregnancy tests to know that they take this decision seriously. And to continue or terminate a pregnancy should not be a sacred decision between a woman and her state legislature. So I honestly didn't think this would ever happen. (laughs) I never thought Roe v. Wade would be overturned. And it's weird because as I'm reading, people are like, we saw this coming. We knew this was in the... I was like, we did? Like, I didn't see this coming at all. And the reason is because when I worked for Planned Parenthood, It was the wives and daughters of judges and senators that were the ones taking advantage of our abortion services. So you might be surprised to learn that by and large, in my three years or so working in the capital city of California, I worked at a couple different clinics there, that the poor and the disadvantaged young women and girls were more likely to continue their pregnancies while the educated and advantaged young women were more likely to terminate. So this supports the research that says that the number one way to prevent teen pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, is to have aspirations for the future. Because when a girl is looking at her future and she doesn't have a clear vision that she's excited about or like a path that every kind of everyone kind of expects for her, then she's more likely to step into the future that fate has provided for her. Because, you know, they're, these girls are 17, 18, 19, 20. Like they, they're ready to, to do something new and different. And so if fate is going to provide them with the opportunity to become a mother and they don't have any other visions of something else that they might want to do, then they often accept that. But when a girl has plans and a vision for her future and pregnancy disrupts those plans, she's more likely to terminate the pregnancy. So I was really surprised that the Supreme Court made this decision. So this episode I want to talk about today, it's not going to try to convince you to be pro-choice or support Planned Parenthood or anything like that. But I just wanted to give you a glimpse of what it's like to work in a Planned Parenthood clinic. Because I keep thinking about these women and wanting to share their stories with you so you can put a personal face on the legal decision that has been made. I honestly think everyone should work in a Planned Parenthood clinic for one week to expand their mind and heart by stepping into the shoes of others. Just like I think everybody should clean up plastics out of the ocean in Costa Rica for a week because one, it was super fun and had a really good time doing it. And two, it certainly makes you think twice every time you buy something packaged in plastic. So I don't know about you, but I find voting difficult because I want to make an educated decision. And a lot of the things that come on the voters, the pamphlet, 
I don't have personal experience with. And so I don't have like, like the insider perspective. So I'm hoping that by telling you a few stories about the women I met, that'll give you some more insight than you had yesterday. And maybe it can help you make good decisions when you're voting that are right for you. And you can benefit from my experience and just put a personal face on it. So in my 20s, I worked for Planned Parenthood as a reproductive health specialist and a perinatal coordinator. So the clinics I worked at didn't perform abortions. We we did other things. <laughs> we did pelvic exams, pregnancy tests, STD and HIV tests. If we did tubal ligation and vasectomy counseling, like, you know, if somebody wanted to have a tubal ligation or a vasectomy, then they had to go through this little counseling session first to make sure they understood that it was a permanent decision, stuff like that. And of course, we discussed birth control options and disseminated, I wrote prescriptions for birth control and disseminated condoms and things like that. My job as perinatal coordinator was to work with the women who chose to continue their pregnancy. So it was to make sure that they had access to adequate nutrition, housing, transportation, all the things that they needed to care for a newborn. So we would talk about the dangers of drugs and alcohol. We did some talk screens. We did the, um, talked about the benefits of regular medical care. Sometimes I would pick them up and bring them to their appointments or like talk about how they could get to their appointments. Uh, You know, we looked for anemia, gestational diabetes, that kind of stuff, and made sure they knew where to go to deliver the baby, and they had a car seat so they could bring the baby home and some support and care afterwards. So that was pretty much kind of my job, was to work with these women. But I also did, when I was just a a reproductive health specialist, I did the pregnancy test, the STD counseling, that kind of thing. So I want to talk about seven women who stand out of my mind, who I probably will never forget because it's been decades and decades now and I haven't forgotten them yet. But the first one that comes to my mind was this 13-year-old girl. You know, some 13-year-olds look very mature for their age, right? They start a puberty young and by the time they get to 13, they're kind of like fully into womanhood. This girl was not. She looked like a scared little kitten. She was so fragile. I don't know if that's the right word, but she was so fearful. And she was 13 and she came in with her mom for a pregnancy test. And by the time she came in, she was already six months pregnant. She had been hiding it under a t-shirt, trying not to let her mom know that she was pregnant. And this little, just fragile girl was, she had spent the first few months, like, you know, probably in denial. I mean, she's like the kind of girl, like, you know, 13, like you are mortified to to get naked. Like the thought of going to OBGYN is just horrific. Like you don't want to change your clothes in front of people. Like this is an extremely private modest age. So that's where she was at. Like this, the thought of having to take her clothes off for a doctor's appointment was awful. And then the shame that she was wearing, just like this heavy cloak was palatable. And she came in with her mom, just as a beautiful girl, uh, for a pregnancy test. And there, in my mind, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, there is no way this was a consensual act because 
she didn't look capable of making that kind of decision. She was too young, too naive, where she might have been telling herself in her head that this was something that she caused or created, but there's no way it was. Somebody took advantage of her naivete and her innocence because like, she probably didn't even know what the word rape was. Like, she just didn't have that about her. And so she had been with her best friend, who was the only one that knew, she'd been trying to give herself a miscarriage by drinking a margarita every day. And this girl ended up adopting this baby out. And I I don't know, you know, we didn't follow up with her, but she came in for the pregnancy test, but then she ended up going to her regular doctor for the remainder of her care. But I will just never forget because what I took from seeing her was that a 13-year-old, that's just not a age where you can make this a conscious decision. To me, it's just abuse. It just felt like abuse. (laughs) There was no two ways about it in my gut. Of course, I can't say anything. It's not my role to like, pointed out, but I just remember like working at Planned Parenthood, I felt like I got really in touch with my gut instincts, even though I didn't have the words to put on it, you could feel it. Like this was abuse. Another opportunity I had to listen to my gut was this mom who came in at about age 47 or 48. And she came to us for a pregnancy test. This is an accomplished professional woman who had her act together. And she came in for a pregnancy test because she did not want to go to her regular doctor because she did not want him to know that here she was, 47, 48, and pregnant with her fourth child. Her youngest child was just getting ready to go off to college. And I am in that boat right now. So I can totally relate to this mom coming in and going, I can't do it again. I cannot start over. I am about to be an empty nester. I am done with this phase of my life. She said, it would kill my husband. It would ruin my marriage. Like, she's like, I just can't do it. And it was one of those times where I felt in my body that that was the right decision for her. You know, I'm not in a place to say it. She didn't ask me for any coaching or advice. She knew what she wanted and I could feel the clarity of her decision. It was so clean. And the next, not the next person the next day, but the the other woman I remember where I felt like it was not a good decision for her and it wasn't coming from a clean place was this woman who had been struggling with infertility for like five years. She and her husband had been trying to conceive, trying to conceive, doing all the things, not working. And their marriage was suffering as many do, right? It was really hard on their marriage. And they kind of broke up for a while. They did like a trial separation for like a month or two months, something like that. And then they got back together. Well, during that trial separation, she went out and had a one night stand with somebody else. Of a, I remember her saying of a different race. And she turns out she comes into the clinic two months later, she's pregnant. She doesn't know if it's her husband's or this one night stand, but she didn't want to risk it because the other one night stand was of a different race. And 
there was an urgency about terminating the pregnancy. She's like, I got to do it quick. I got to do it now. I got to do it. And, you know, and she was not wanting to sit with the decision and the gravity of it and what it all meant. And she's like, well, I guess it's good to know it's my him and not me. You know, like I can get, still get pregnant and like, at least I have that. But I just felt <laughs> instinctually that she needed to sit with that decision longer and really be honest with her husband would be my guess is what needed to happen. And I just, you know, I, I let her make her decision, right? That's what being pro-choice is all about. It's like, she gets to make her own decision, but I could feel the, that, that urgency was her running away from something that could have benefited her to sit with longer. Now, you're probably thinking, I thought it was all young people that went to Planned Parenthood, not 50-year-old women. But there, it really is. It's something that because we provided anonymity before HIPAA, now hopefully there's that anonymity going on in other medical practitioners too, but um, people didn't want their regular doctors to know what was going on for them. But there were plenty of young girls. I remember like girls would come in and they looked 30. And I'd look at their chart and it said they were 21. And I was like, oh my gosh, like three children before the age of 21 makes you look 30. Like these women had seen a lot. They had to grow up really quickly. And it's, it was interesting how much it aged them. One of the young girls that came through was about, I want to say 15 or 16. And she was pregnant. And she was very excited to continue her pregnancy. Her boyfriend was 21 and had already been a father. He already had a kid from a previous girlfriend. And there were some signs there of physical abuse, which, if you know, they tends to start when a woman gets pregnant, the abuse, and or escalate when a woman is pregnant. Uh, if the man has a predisposition for abuse, then it will exacerbate it with the pregnancy. And so there were some suspicions. We didn't have proof, but we suspected. And so she continued the pregnancy, but the closer she got to her due date, the less supportive her boyfriend became. So I started going to pick her up from her house or her boyfriend's house. I guess she lived with his family and bring her to doctor's appointments. I gave her my cell phone so that she could call me if she went into labor because I told her I would be there in the delivery room because it wasn't looking like she was going to have a lot of support. And she had the baby and was going to live with her boyfriend's family because she said she didn't have any family. Now, I don't know the details of that, but it was concerning, right? Because you take this girl who is in an abusive relationship, probably, dependent on him for everything, food, shelter, you know, love, emotional intimacy, physical support, just like helping care for the baby, like everything in order to kind of help her thrive in her life 
had to go through the boyfriend. And a lot of times with boyfriends who are abusive and controlling, they like it that way, right? So if there's a controlling boyfriend situation, he might try to separate them from their friends, from their family, so that he's the only one they're dependent on. And so her having a baby just made her that much more dependent on him, kind of robbed her of her ability to create an independent life for herself, where if she was just a single person, her chances of being able to survive on her own were greater. And so it was just really sad to kind of see her get trapped in this cycle. And she's probably going to end up like his ex-girlfriend with the baby, not living at home and not having the support. So she comes to my mind a lot. There were a lot of um, teenagers and young women who, you know, said whatever, 16 to 20 years old, who came through, who would have the babies, and then they would come afterwards for follow-up care. And so we were always very excited to get to meet the babies for the first time and, and you know, we'd hold them and, and fawn all over them and ask them, you know, what their name and how their delivery was and, and what it was like to give birth and the getting, giving them opportunity to tell their birth story. And some women, some of these girls, you know, lit up. They really enjoyed the chance to kind of tell their story and they appreciated having somebody care and show interest. And everybody who worked in our clinic was so excited for them. But more often than not, these girls were numbed out. So it was like they couldn't bond with their babies. They would do everything they could to not hold them. They would put them in their car seat and prop the bottle up so that the babies could feed themselves. And I'm talking about like, you know, four-week-old babies, like brand new ports. If they held them, they wouldn't look at them in the eye. They would look away from them or just like hold the babies to face out instead of in. And so a lot of the work that we did at Planned Parenthood was giving them permission to kind of break open a little bit and like crack the hard shell. And so sometimes they were cold because they were dealing with postpartum depression. You know, uh, some of them were cold towards their babies because their moms were cold towards them, that their love tank was empty. So they didn't have enough, didn't receive enough love. So how could they give it away? Sometimes they thought it wasn't cool because they were 16 years old and they wanted to look cool. And the cool 16-year-olds at their school weren't holding babies and gushing all over them. And so they thought they had to look sort of indifferent towards their babies. There was a lot of reasons. But I hope that we, when they came into our clinic, at least we showed them that it was okay to fawn over their babies, to fall in love with their babies, to hold their babies and look them in the eye and to allow themselves, even if just occasionally, to break open that tough veneer so that they could feel the feelings. Those Remember all those feel-good chemicals, right? That oxytocin that, you know, creates those feel-good chemicals these girls were deprived of. And then, of course, help them with the postpartum depression. And a lot of times I would ask them, I said, what did your parents tell you about how babies are made? And they said, don't do it. I said, did they tell you what it was that you weren't supposed to do? And they said, no. 
So they're coming from a place of like, don't talk about it. And then so total shame if you do get pregnant, even though they don't tell you how pregnancy happens. And then you're kicked out of the house a lot of the time because you brought shame upon the family. So it was this really weird predicament. And so they're in major stress, not knowing, you know, what the future lies. And now they've got this baby that's dependent on them while they are not having surrounded by a lot of support. And so it was very hard to watch. And um, they, I remember they would fill out the form before their pregnancy test. And I would, the form would ask them, are you trying to get pregnant? And they'd circle no. What method of birth control are you using? None. So that was a very large percentage of the population that would come through that would continue their pregnancies. They were the ones who were not choosing to terminate their pregnancies. So I also remember the daughter of a minister who came through and we gave her her pregnancy test results that were positive. We asked her, like, would you like to you know, discuss your options? And she was like, what do you mean? And we said, well, you've got, you know, three choices. You can continue the pregnancy, you can terminate the pregnancy, or you can choose adoption. And she was listening to all of the different options and kind of taking them all in. And she says, but I've always been pro-life. I've always been against abortion. And I was like, yeah, most people are (laughs) until it happens to them. (laughs) You know, I didn't say that, but I was like... That's how we change our values is when we have a personal experience that shows it to us from a new lens, right? She didn't want her dad to know. She knew it would bring shame upon his family. It would ruin his reputation as a minister in the church. And she had all these, you know, reasons that she was considering terminating the pregnancy. And, you know, her, she had a very clear trajectory that she was supposed to follow according to her parents. And I don't actually know what she ended up deciding, but I just remember that, like, well, I've always been against abortion. And, and just in my head, I'm like, that happens, right? Like, it's life circumstances that help us reevaluate our values and come at things from a different perspective. You know, I always thought <laughs> that, the family bed sounded like a great idea until I became a mom and all of a sudden realized I cannot sleep if there's a baby next to me. I am too worried. And then I just kept moving the baby further and further away until he was all the way in his own room with the monitor off because he was such a noisy sleeper. So it's our life circumstances that help us redefine what's important to us and what our values are. So if one more story for you, and this was a woman who moved from Armenia. We had a lot of Armenian refugees at the time in, in uh, Sacramento. And so she was one of them that stood out in my mind. A lot of them were, you know, just like beautiful, wonderful, happy new moms who gave birth and were super excited and had lots of support. But this one woman did not feel happy. She had her baby. And the baby was healthy, but she came back for her postpartum check up. And, you know, we'd look at the baby, check mom out, make sure everything's going okay. And my job was to talk to her about birth control options going forward. And this woman just had the 
now I know what to, it looks like. This the look of depression, where the really dark circles under the eyes, and just this very like sallow, I think you know, coloring to her skin, just no life in her demeanor and her whole body language, her eyes especially, but like no liveliness. Um, and just looking down at the ground, and I was saying, you know, talking about birth control. You know, you just had a baby and maybe you'd like to choose how far apart you want your children to be or give yourself some time to recuperate and adapt to becoming a mom. And she just looked at the ground, had no liveliness in her voice and said, I will have as many children as God gives me. Like it was so rote and repeated Clearly, it was just something she would had been taught or just told to say or repeated. It was not coming from her desires, her wants, her essence at all. And here she was in the depths of just depression and just feeling like, I have no choices. I have to do what society tells me to do, which is to have as many children as God gives me. Like, doesn't matter how I feel about it. And it was so just like a knife in the heart. You know, you just want to help her and support her and make her feel that there's options for her to feel better and not just be a baby-making machine. So I hope that these stories will help you care about these women as much as I cared about them and kind of see things from their perspective. It was such a a warm and loving place to work. I hope that as a country, we can still provide places where factual and unbiased information is given, where you can hear about options without anybody giving you their judgment or their opinion. You know, I had thoughts and opinions and judgments, but I did not show them. That wasn't my job, right? My job was just to present the facts and sometimes help them make decisions that were right for them. We had like different strategies for making decisions because when it's a big, important decision, you want to make sure it's right for you. So I hope that our country will still provide safe, quality medical care. I mean, we know from our history that just because you make abortions illegal does not mean that puts them to a stop. It just means that they become dangerous for women. So we know that historically. So that is concerning for me. But I'm hoping that the environment that I worked in, where it was so warm and loving, filled with women who care about girls and and moms and babies and helping them make choices that are right for them, that I hope that that will continue. One of the best things about working at one of the clinics I worked at was that the midwife who did all the exams, she would bring her baby and she would have her, she had her youngest baby was in a front pack and she would do pelvic exams and pap smears and everything with the little baby just sitting there. She'd sometimes turn him out, sometimes face him in, but he was so cute. And it was just made everyone, it made it feel like a small little kind of like a village, just this community that was, you know, we had the baby there and I, 
we would take turns. We had a little playpen in the office and I'd carry him around and I would do my appointments while holding the baby. And we'd pass him around for like the first six months of his life. He got to be a part of this. And it just created this environment that was super supportive for all of these women to come through. So I hope that that never ends. Today's super bomb kryptonite is what I call buffering with optimism. Now, I see clients doing this sometimes where they avoid negative emotions by having optimistic thoughts. I did not realize I was doing that when it came to Roe v. Wade and just the Supreme Court decisions and the changes in our country that I was, I don't like being worried about the state of our country and that some of our rights are going to be taken away and that we're going to become more controlling and more, we're going to take away our freedoms. I don't like to believe that. And so I stay very optimistic. And I think that is a detriment to me sometimes because it may prevent me from taking appropriate action. If I believe everything's going to be just fine, I might not advocate as much as I should and stand up for what I believe in and donate to causes that I believe in and call my senators and all these kinds of things. So Sometimes buffering with optimism is a negative because it's kind of like the same thing as being in denial, where you don't actually get to address what's really going on. And then when you find out and you come out of denial, it feels like a bit of a slap across the face and it sends you down a little negative spiral like it happened to me earlier this week. So today's Supermom Curtinite is buffering with optimism. So watch out for that. Try and stay in reality and not just assume everything's going to be okay if it's not working for you. Okay, so that's the question you want to ask, like, is this serving me or is it not? And sometimes it actually keeps us from avoiding uh, feeling negative emotions or taking productive action. Today's super mom power boost is this app I that's called How We Feel. I absolutely love it. I have been using it a lot this week because I've been feeling, if you ever wake up and you're just like, (laughs) what are you feeling? I don't know. Just so this app, I love it because first of all, it's bright and colorful. (laughs) Second of all, when I open it, it asks me to check in. It's like this weird thing where it's like, check in. And and it asks me, how are you feeling this afternoon? And it's this funny thing where I feel like, oh, somebody cares. Somebody wants to know. Isn't that lovely? And then I like that it says, tap the color that best describes how you feel right now and has four categories. So you can say it says high energy, unpleasant, low energy, unpleasant, high energy, pleasant, or low energy, pleasant. And I just like how it divides it up because you can usually figure this out, right? Like this is kind of a general way to start. If you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but you can usually narrow it down to one of these four. And then you tap on it and it gives you all these choices. Focused, curious, eager, enthusiastic would be high energy, pleasant, or low energy, unpleasant, might see discouraged, disengaged, fatigue, meh is one of the options. Bored, disappointed. And so it's just one of these funny things where when you can articulate and name your own emotion, 
first of all, it helps you feel heard. It helps you feel seen and felt like, oh, okay. There's, I can identify my own emotions. It means like I'm paying attention to me and I'm connecting with me and what I want. But then it also, when you can name it, you can contain it. It's like, oh, I'm feeling disappointed. Well, okay. I felt disappointed before. That's not a big deal. Where if you can't name it, it feels sort of really big and out of control. And you're like, oh, I'm just feeling terrible and awful and I don't know what's going on. But then if you can like label it, you're like, I'm feeling disengaged and discouraged. You're like, okay, there's something I can do with that. I don't know. It just feels really good. So I highly suggest you check out this free app called How We Feel. Today's quote of the day is from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The argument was, it's her right to decide either way, her right to decide whether or not to bear a child. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It is a decision she must make for herself. And when the government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a full adult human responsible for her own choices. Thanks so much for listening today. I mean, really. I thank you very, very much for listening today. I will love you and leave you and wish you well. I hope you'll tune in next week for how to prioritize when you're being pulled in multiple directions. Take care, super moms. Have a great day. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.